Hello, and welcome to Book Reviews Kill, a podcast about fantasy, sci-fi, and horror novels. I'm Evan. And I'm Chad. And you're joining us today for our recap and discussion of Lightbringer, book six in the Red Rising trilogy by Pierce Brown. Ooh, we're done with Red Rising for now until Red God comes out uh, probably next year. So we might be right back here reading Red God uh, but we probably won't go through all six of these books here on the podcast again. Uh, but no. speaking of six books, the sixth book, what an absolute breath of fresh air this book was after Dark Age and uh, and Iron Gold. I mean, Dark Age especially, it being such a dark book. But Iron Gold, I felt like the pacing was just you know pretty slowed down. And then with Lightbringer, we have something that feels a little bit more hopeful, a little more optimistic, uh, but also a lot more fast-paced and a lot more focused. So I was just a huge fan of this book. I couldn't agree more. I was like, as many of you know, uh, was rather disgruntled after the dark tidings that were just resolute the dark throughout age. the entire yeah the dark age you know i mean i i know it's in the title but still there's always this underlying element of hope with all of his stories and i really felt the book was missing that and lacking for it but this one within the first like 20 pages i was like yes we're back it had that like epic feel to it of like triumphant overcoming the evil and like one's yeah. own inner demons and you know it was very good and had that element and it was not a like book full of roses or walks in the park by any means though there oh, was, no, was so still many a lot of really gruesome <laughs> stuff happening for sure but you know really you can't things. have the light without the dark you know so i'm I'm, I'm happy for dark age i think it's it's an important book for sure i liked it more i think after our conversation i think you liked it less <laughs> after our conversation i thought about it a bunch and it seems it makes sense logically i should like it because it's like the whole yeah. like the series oh, yeah. ups and its downs, but it's like, man, it just seemed like it's a little too much for Chad. I think a little too much for me, a little too much for me. I mean, and again, I really feel like my my measurement of how much I can handle is offset by how much hope there is. You know, more hope than the yeah. more we can bot fly. You know, I still had some issues with a few things personally uh, in this particular book, but in my opinion, this was way better uh, than the, the the two previous. I think it's better than Morningstar. Honestly, it's like on the same level for me as uh, as Golden Sun. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, like the pacing, the tone, the character development, the action sequences, the blocking, the descriptions of different scenes and set pieces. It's just it's such a great time. But um, yeah, let's just get right into the recap. And then we have lots and lots of things to discuss, both dark and light. Our tale begins with Darrow, stranded on a man-made moon of trash. Darrow, along with a group of castaways, is attempting to repair a ship called the Archimedes while awaiting the return of Cassius, who has gone on a mission to secure helium for the ship's reactor. Darrow, surprising no one, reflects on his past, failures, friends lost, and innocents killed. Cassius returns with the needed ship fuel and news, updating him on the political maneuverings and the ongoing war with the Rim. Cassius has learned that Severo has been sold into slavery. Determined to rescue Severo, Darrow sets a course for the Rim. His crew stage a half-hearted insurrection to prevent Darrow from going. Knowing Severo would come for him were their roles reversed, he proceeds with his plan and leaves with Cassius. Darrow, companions in Cassius in tow, attempts a daring infiltration of the dockyards of Venus. They have been baited, however, by Apollonius. After many close calls and dashing about, Darrow and Cassius are taken captive. Darrow duels Apollonius in a public arena, but the fight is interrupted as a bomb explodes nearby. Apollonius prepares for war. Severo is revealed to be alive and very free, and waging a guerrilla war against Apollonius. He proceeds to rescue Darrow and Cassius, guiding them through the chaos of the battle. 
They are saved, but it is quickly evident that Severo and Darrow's relationship is still not healed. Lysander, the little two-faced bastard, observes the events at the Hippodrome on Mercury while he reflects on his hatred towards Darrow. He speaks with Valeria Alcarthi, a powerful and ambitious gold about supporting him in the upcoming war. He hosts a grand party to reveal Darrow's old ship, the Morningstar, which he has had remade and refitted, now calling it Lightbringer. They receive news of an attack on the Venus dockyards, which has prompted a Carthii response. Lyria is on a mission in an asteroid belt. She is searching for a laboratory to help her deal with the parasite in her head. She has some mild concerns about the information which led her here, suspicions which quickly become reality as her team are attacked and she loses consciousness. Lyria awakens to find herself with Matteo's son, the husband of Quicksilver. Matteo reveals information about the Psyche, a powerful AI. He proposes repairing Lyria's degraded prototype in exchange for her commitment to help the Republic. Lyria, however, refuses and Matteo eventually agrees to remove the Psyche and help her return home to her nephew. Virginia has a touching moment while visiting her son Pax. Lysander decides to use his influence to gather an army to attack Mars. Atalantia stays resolute in her plans to besiege Luna, accusing Lysander of scheming against her. Lysander attends the Summit of the 200, during which Atalantia unveils her plan for Lysander to lead an assault on Luna. As the leaders of the Rim Dominion walk out, Lysander stands and presents a plan for Apollonius Alrath to lead an armada against Mars. We have some ceasefires and some commitments to unity, and the gold seem to be playing nice. The majority seem to support Lysander, but Atalantia stays her course, deciding to continue her plans for siege, and is amused at Lysander's newfound assertiveness. Lysander leads his Praetorians in an assault on Phobos, and delivers a rousing speech to a unit of Red Helldivers. The fight for Phobos wages back and forth, with both sides experiencing victories and defeats. Though they fight cleverly and force the enemy to earn the cost of every success, Virginia is finally forced to parley with Lysander, and she is able to negotiate her and her troops' peaceful retreat. The meeting concludes with the revelation of Kavex, who had been previously captured, being returned, wounded and in an armchair, but nonetheless providing some much-appreciated hope amidst their retreat. Darrow finally managed to get a tight beam to Virginia, who updates him on the situation and tells him not to come home, as he would not be able to help her situation. Darrow heads to the asteroid belt to find Quicksilver and convince him, and more importantly, his vast resources, to help his side win the fight for the solar system once and for all. Quicksilver meets with Darrow, and while he does provide some cool gear that he gives to Darrow, Quicksilver has no more fight left in him and tells Darrow of his plan to sail away in a new multi-generational ship, and along with his crew seek a new home amongst the stars. Lyria, in recovery from her parasite removal surgery, learns of Darrow's visit and seeks him out. She asks Darrow if she can join him on his mission to the Rim. Darrow refuses her. Lyria and Severo are both headed home, and await the departure of their ship. Lyria, not knowing Severo hasn't heard of the murder of his son Ulysses, gives her condolences to him. This causes Severo to change his mind about going home and staying out of the fight, and he leaves to board Darrow's ship. Though their friendship is still strained, Darrow is elated to have him along. Lyria, not wanting to be left out, sneaks aboard Darrow's ship and is soon discovered, and begins her integration into the crew. Lysander gets front row seats to a hostile takeover, as the power structure of the Rim forces rearrange, 
Atlas Aura takes control of the flagship of Diomedes' fleet. During the fray, Lysander manages to free Diomedes via escape pod, but is himself captured and watches helplessly as Atlas uses his control over the recently acquired flagship and proceeds to open fire on the entire fleet from the middle of it. Shields down and not expecting an attack from their own ship, it is a massacre. Atlas lays waste to ship after ship around him. On a similar heading, Darrow and his crew aboard the Archimedes are baffled as they come across the site a short while later. Though their enemies are reduced in number and evidently fighting each other, the sheer display of carnage they witness serves to confuse and unnerve them, thinking one of their enemies is far more powerful than they thought. They discover a single intact escape pod has survived, leading them to take Diomedes captive. Surprising no one, Severo must be prevented from torturing him and is lectured by Cassius, his perfect chin the only light in the dark and cold emptiness of space. Atlas tells his grand plan to Lysander. It's another gold making a typical gold scheme. He will create a messiah-like figure, Fa, Vagnarhefka, to unite the Ascomani tribes and Obsidians, forming them into a single united fist, which he will then use to smash apart any who stand in his way using deceit and bombastic ego to foment religious extremism in an underprivileged class so he can fuel his rise to power with their bodies and not his own, are his tools for the day. Atlas further details his long-term plan to seriously reduce the size and power of the society, advocating for the destruction of divisive elements. He presents Lysander with a choice, join him and save lives or die. Lysander grapples with the decision not nearly enough for us to believe him, and like Roan, he is a weak, power-hungry coward who can't look farther than the light cast by his own brilliance. Surprising no one, he appears to support and join Team Atlas. Atlas reveals a disturbing secondary goal involving a powerful weapon, capable of selectively targeting and eliminating individuals based on their color. The weapon's potential for mass genocide shocks Lysander, who is still pretending he hasn't sold his soul for influence, money, and power. Darrow and his alliance arrive on Io, witnessing the devastating aftermath of Fa's conquest. Io's defenses have been shattered, and its cities lie in ruins. Seeing himself and Fa recognizing him to be the darker side of the same coin, in a moment of self-doubt and pessimistic introspection, Daryl realizes how close he has allowed himself to become that which he is trying to destroy, again, surprising no one. Darrow joins Cassius, and using a razor they take out a slave ship, freeing its occupants and alerting the enemy forces to their presence. Darrow, surrounded by the enemy, announces his intention to claim vengeance against Volsung Fa, who killed Sefi, Ragnar's sister. The Obsidians, suckers for a battle to the death over honor and pride, hesitate, displaying a growing uncertainty in the unfolding confrontation. Lyria learns that her old friend, Volga Fjorgen, who she thought was captive, is actually working with Fa of her own volition. She finds this hard to believe, but her source remains adamant. Volga supports Fa. Darrow gets himself captured by a rebel group who call themselves the Daughters of Ares, who put him on trial for past decisions that led to much death and betraying the Sons of Ares to the enemy. In a passionate speech, once again surprising no one, Darrow acknowledges his own guilt, confessing to crimes that include betrayal, murder, and destruction. He expresses remorse for selling kin to Romulus, destroying Ganymede's dockyards and other atrocities. He pleads for the daughters to consider unity in order to prevent more needless death of innocence, using the recent destruction of civilian obsidians as a prime example. They find him guilty, and as punishment, Athena tasks Darrow with killing Fa. 
Lyria is taken captive and manages to meet up with Volga and tries to convince her to return to their side. Volga defends her choices and allegiance to her people. Lyria attends a celebration put on by a victorious Fa, during which elaborate festivities and rituals take place. A massive gravskiff rises from the sea, carrying a chained leviathan. Lyria watches in horror as Volga not only allows the sacrifice of the captives, but actively participates in the gruesome ceremony, during which a special gauntlet is used to rip out the hearts of the sacrificed. Lyria is horrified by the violent and gruesome scene. Volga finally displays a touch of her former humanity and hesitates, and in this moment chaos erupts. Demon-like figures emerge from a blister in the leviathan's belly, spilling blood, gore, and viscera everywhere, causing panic and violence. These demons, armed with flashing blades, turn out to be Darrow, Severo, and Cassius as they emerge from the belly of the leviathan. They swiftly begin killing the Ascomani. They make their way to Fa, and Darrow invokes an ancient obsidian tradition, challenging him to a one-on-one -on -one fight. Fa is forced by tradition to accept, and a violent confrontation unfolds. Darrow battles Fa, and the chase continues through multiple islands, with Darrow harrying Fa relentlessly. During the battle, Lyria manages to get Volga to return to the battle to face her demons instead of running. Darrow manages to defeat Fa and reveals him to be the fraud that he is. The Obsidians vote, and Volga is elected as their new leader. We are treated to a touching moment between Cassius and Darrow, where both express what their relationship means to the other, glad to have their friendship back. Lysander is surprised one day when Diomedes unexpectedly arrives. He leads him to a secret meeting with Darrow. Both Lysander and Darrow bristle at the surprise meeting, but Diomedes calms the situation and tries to broker peace between them. Both sides agree to think on it. Lysander returns to his room to another surprise in the form of Cassius. Lysander agrees to work with Cassius to kill Roan and Atlas. In a hangar, Lysander awaits the return of Atlas and Roan. A moment after their ship is docked and both Roan and Atlas has de-shipped, Cassius jumps out and a fierce battle begins with Lysander and Cassius fighting Roan and Atlas. The struggle wages back and forth, but Lysander finally spits blood and broken teeth on the prone body of Roan, his body unable to continue with three bullet-sized holes now smoking in his head. Lysander looks up in time to see a much-bloodied Cassius fighting razor to razor against a much-bloodied Atlas. Atlas is good, great even, but he is no match for Cassius Albolona as Cassius ducks under a swing, whipping his razor out behind him as he whirls past Atlas. At the last second, Cassius converts his razor to a whip, which wraps around Atlas's neck. Atlas goes still, and Lysander knows he's won. So does Atlas. Atlas begins talking about the new color-killing genocidal weapon that is now in a bag on the floor of the hangar. Not wanting any more beans to be spilled that might tip off Cassius to his true intentions, Lysander calmly shoots Atlas through his head. Cassius's razor unslithers from around Atlas's neck as his corpse falls lifeless. He then turns to Cassius, and in the darkest moment so far in these books, proceeds to do the same to Cassius, who realizes Lysander's betrayal and rushes him but is not fast enough. Lysander shoots, and Cassius's body slumps lifeless to the ground, his razor inches from Lysander's chest. Lysander concocts a plan involving a staged assassination to explain to his allies the deaths of Atlas and Roan. Lysander, the cowardly bastard, holds a powerful position after removing most of his rivals. 
His dark heart can't help itself and concludes this book by sending a video message to Darrow and company, gloating of his betrayal and rise in power. He has Cassius's savaged body hanging lifeless by him as he taunts them. No one listens to overcome with hatred, each in their own way promising revenge for Cassius, united in their desire to bring about the hopefully painful undoing of Lysander, the cowardly bastard. And that concludes Lightbringer. Wow, I am so happy that I got my Darrow and Severo and Cassius gang back together. I was so happy with the amount of time we got with all of them. So many great conversations. That's what I said I wanted in the previous episode with the previous book. I wanted those conversations. I love what's going on with Severo's character. I loved Cassius and Darrow working to get Darrow back into fighting shape. Just the ah, cutest. Their, their so romance great. was the cutest. Yeah, I think we should probably um, we should probably talk a little bit. About. The highest highs are, exist within the, Dar- the Darrow and Cassius relationship, and the lowest lows also yeah, exist exactly. there as well. So we probably should start there. Yeah, we should just start talking about Cassius because Cassius dies on the page at least this time. Uh, so he's definitely yeah. dead. You know, we see uh, his mangled uh, corpse hanging next to Lysander. I won't like it if he comes back again. I'll be like, I don't Pierce. think he will. I, I don't think he will. Yeah, I would be if this was like a 15 book series, I would be like, oh, Cassius is going to get cloned or something. <laughs> cloned uh, or something no, we yeah. have one book left. Cassius is definitely dead. Uh, his death hit me a lot harder than I thought it would because and I phrase it exactly that way because I was pretty sure Cassius was going to die because things were going a little bit too well. And I was pretty sure it was going to be Lysander's fault, too. Did you think it was going to be Lysander? Okay. For sure, yeah. When it's when they like, I got like a whiff of it at like the beginning of that scene where he's like kind of hanging and he like knows Lysander's over like behind the crates or whatever. (laughs) It's a little snake. But wow, what a redemption arc for him. I mean, he knew he was going to die when he was facing off with Lysander. He still went for Lysander with his final breath because. Why? Because it was the right thing to do. He ne- he knew he ne- needed to do it. And not only that, he became the person Darrow always knew he was deep down. You know, Darrow always had faith that Cassius was actually this kind of person. Cassius proved it to himself. He proved it to Darrow. He still has his honor. Uh, yep. Yeah. I mean, it was a really cool scene. It was just... um even to the last second it's like i knew cassius was gonna die some part of me knew but he some other perfect. part of me was like there's no way lysander's gonna kill cassius like something's gonna happen like someone's gonna someone's gonna say something or lysander's gonna have a quick change of heart because he's just not this guy but he is no, that he guy. is that guy i had lost respect for him like i wouldn't agree if i had any faith left in him but that was pounded out of me like real quick and i was just like no man this he's on the side of the fascies and he's committed he's doubled down tripled down now part of me wants lysander to be a lot more complicated than he is i know me too he was presented way more complicated i don't think he's really that complicated though. he's not i really don't like i mean i think that what's i don't think this is what pierce brown is trying to do but i think that uh in the in dark age at least i was like okay he's being kind of like compared to darrow a little bit they've got like inverse like totally. no like lysander t- is just awful like he's he really is yeah, it's just... like a baby shoe in Vus, like a huge boot you know <laughs> uh <laughs> let's talk about his speech a little bit at the roman coliseum because of course Dude. it's at the roman coliseum of course where... <laughs> it is and of course he delivers a rousing speech did he practice ever before have you ever delivered a rousing speech because i have really, and i've yeah. practiced it hundreds of times before i gave it <laughs> but maybe you get so caught up in the moment you're so able to articulate you know it's oh, it's God. it's you're at the I roman coliseum so. you're the what an orator yeah um it, it was it was a pretty gross speech i thought 
It made me kind of uncomfortable the whole time. It's it's pretty disgusting, honestly. I mean, he's just so committed to this image of himself and by extension, like the golds too, uh, as like the solar system's one and only hope for a brighter, if they could just get back to, and, and the other thing too, is that like, no he, one even wants that or thinks that well, it's a I romance mean, he's built. Well, he doesn't even want the golds to be better rulers in the sense that there's any sort of equity between classes. He wants them to be better stewards of his ideal society's inequity. Right. With golds at the top where nature intended it. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Uh, I mean, I feel like in a strange way, Lysander's behavior is sort of referenced with that quote from Atlas. When he says, uh, I fear a man who believes in good for he can excuse any evil. Um, and I think that that quote actually has like, I mean, for me, there's a lot of depth to that in that like Lysander is, is a man who like says he believes in good. And I think that's, I, in my opinion, I feel like me one more time. Uh, so it's, I fear a man who believes in good for he can excuse any evil. And I think what Atlas is really saying with that quote is that I think what Atlas is really saying with that quote is he's saying, I fear a man who says he believes in good or uh, a man whose whole thing is that like ostensibly he believes in good. You shouldn't even have to believe in good. It's just good. Like if you're believing (laughs) in it, you're trying too hard and you don't like you, you question that belief ever. Like that's kind of, I think that's maybe what he's referring to. So like a man who's like questioning, you know, it's like, it's like a sociopath. Yeah. I mean, good is such a loaded word here. Uh, I think Lysander really does believe what he's saying, but also, I mean, there's just part of me, like because of the way he's just kind of like failing upward and just doing whatever it takes. And he's just so ruthless and he's so awful. I wonder if he even really wants peace and prosperity at all. I don't think he, I I think he just wants power. I think that he would take power without peace if that was an easy option for him. Like he doesn't care about how the golds are composing them. He just wants to be at the top of whatever shitty, bloody pyramid this is. Right. Cause like, let's not remind, let's not forget that this society, when it was ruled by the golds, was like, awful. Like the, like Darrow started the series not knowing that Mars had like fully been terraformed Terraformed. like totally living a lie and they do that to all you know the the pinks like we've heard a little bit about what they have to go through growing up and it's awful and horrific and like super evil so like yeah and like the fact that he has never one time mentioned any sort of like societal reform that needs to occur with the golds ruling from the top as is their place then like yeah, he uh it's funny, I have a note here. Like one of the first things I say is like during the attack on Phobos, Lysander seems to really inform us uh that he has one hundred percent gone to the dark side. <laughs> he is committed when he called the green colors bugs. And then he gets like the claw drill, which is like yeah. good nice way to be unoriginal. Like I really hate Darrow, <laughs> but he's like pretty okay with walking in the worst parts of his footsteps. Darrow is the worst. I want nothing with him. Meanwhile, I'll just be over here sailing around the solar system in his ship. Using claw drills, actual bed, yeah, Yeah, like using claw drills. Like, what are you doing, dude? Like, I think he's just like a person who's kind of caught up in the idea of himself and like his his the legend of his last name, but he has no actual works to to back him up. He's vapid, and everyone knows it, and that's why he ends up being used. But like a vapid little pawn this entire book don't they say that going into the the end of this book like they say like what's i can't remember if it's like his biggest weakness or his main priority or whatever it was but uh what's the thing about lysander it's like it's it's his reputation that's what yeah. they say uh, towards yep. the end i also find it interesting that lysander never duels he's never killing people in what would be considered in this world an honorable fashion he shoots alexander point. he shoots atlas he shoots cassius 
he's wow like and that's just by the standards of this world i'm not saying like i think killing people is bad but, i mean <laughs> but no, like, compare just, his type you of know what i'm saying it's, yeah like it's, the yeah, delicate exactly. dance that cassius does the right the razor weaving around the person's neck like it's just so graceful um and he's a butcher lysander's a butcher yeah i mean lysander really dancer. i mean he reminds me of uh is his name commodus in gladiator like the the joaquin phoenix yeah, huh? character like that's totally like what lysander reminds me of <laughs> yeah you know what i mean he's just like you know like if lysander was pitted against darrow in the coliseum with a bunch of people like he would have darrow hurt beforehand absolutely I mean? like start it, the hand by like grabbing a handful right. of dust he's gonna throw yeah, in his exactly. eyes like immediately yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and i think that um it sucks because that was like one of the things that i mean it, i think it's really effective and i'm not saying it's a bad part of the book at all i think for me it was a it was a disappointment in a good way you know what i mean it was a disappointment where i was happy to be disappointed because it was interesting but just i i had higher hopes for lysander um i thought that he was going to struggle a little bit more but he really is just all the way committed and it honestly kind of like brought his character down a little bit for me and i don't really know how to feel about his character going into book seven and it sucks that like i just want him to, to die like i just want him to you know what i mean i yeah, just like i've want... lost all he's not an interesting character to me like he was when he was flying around like saving people with cassius and stuff which yeah, why he wasn't taking yeah. that time to learn awesome battle dancing like cassius the freaking <laughs> master is like ridiculous to me and like speaks to his not coolness not in right his wheelhouse it's right just not, he knows guns are guns yeah. are easier yeah so I, I really thought he was headed towards a more complicated direction too you know but well and even in dark age i mean when he first meets up with atalantia and, and ajax and stuff and there's just like that kind of weird familial like animosity there and it's like he's he doesn't he feels like really out of place i was happy to read those parts and now like there's like a certain fallout to all of that which is compelling in and of itself i mean just the way that he was kind of like brought up the rest of his uh, life with with Cassius and seeing all this stuff go down in the rim and then the kind of like dynamics between him and his kind of extended family a lot of it kind of lines up with how he's acting but I don't think by any means that it excuses it uh at, at all obviously he's really horrible um but yeah I don't know uh, Lysander killing Cassius was definitely just a rough part of the book. It was just a sure. rough part of the book. And he just did it with like, like he was actually sad that he had to do it, but he would become such he a calloused yeah, asshole yeah, that he was yeah. like, I got to do it. Like we both know it. I'm gonna, I'm, I've decided before I walked in this room and he did because he sold the soul of the devil. I think that's a pretty good segue into talking about what it is that Lysander had that Cassius was trying to, uh, to fight him for. And that would be the, uh, the weird biochemical weapon thing that I want to talk about because I think it's one of the weaker parts of this book for sure. Totally. Like when it was first introduced, I was like, "Wow, that's kind of cool, I guess. Like it's interesting, but like the more I think about it, mm, I don't know. I want to hear your thoughts first before I go on about it. <laughs> I kind of feel like Pierce Brown. I feel, I feel like the man judges himself a lot and he's like, he kind of writes a little bit insecurely sometimes. And what I mean by that is like, he's writing great prose, like really good stuff minute to minute, but then occasionally he'll slip. And this is why dark age was so dark. Kind of was he like, he decides something is kind of cool or a theme that he wants. And he'll like throw it in your face. And these little like, aha, these things. And he likes to remind us that he has really cool ideas. And like, we don't know them all yet. Um, and so we get these really weird weather control devices or like worms that give you magic powers that kind of mean something for a quarter of a book and then get removed. And it's no big sure. deal. Like what? 
Um, so yeah, I think that there's a little bit of like you think he commits to the bit a little hard sometimes. He commits, like, yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Yeah. And he's just like, hey guys, but like remember, I'm like super creative and stuff. All right, check it out. <laughs> I mean, it might be resolved in books. I have a note here that says I'm tempted to say the bioweapon is kind of lazy and silly, but I think we're gonna have to wait for book seven. You know, because I, I think that we just have to wait and see what can you explain it might to not... me why it's such a big deal like why, why is it better than like nukes and stuff like why is it such because a it can kill all of one them? kind of but why would you ever want that i don't really know i don't why, really like i think so you can have no sex dolls or no obsidian just security guys i mean like, so I like what i'm thinking is like and okay so I'm sorry for people that are huge fans of this series. Like, what will that accomplish that one a bomb that destroys everybody won't? If you think that this is me, <laughs> if you think this is me taking too much of a dig, I'm sorry, but this is just I'm putting my 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 critique pants on here real quick. I think what it is is that it's Brown setting up getting rid of all the golds in the seventh book. Like I think oh. it's a setup for it. I think that eventually it'll change hands and it'll go into Darrow's hands and he'll finally be able to get rid oh. of the gold cast altogether. Which will like it, not actually be a very moral thing for him to do, dude. <laughs> I don't know, man. Like, I mean, it depends on what happens before all of those things that. happen. Like, it, yeah. <laughs> no, it's true. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Um, but yeah, I don't. Or it could not. It could. So that's like as as harsh of a critique. I'm not even saying it's a bad thing. It's just like I, I think you just nailed a, it. That sounded so maybe. right. <laughs> or it could just not be anything at all. You know what I mean? Like it could just be a MacGuffin. It could be a distraction. It could be a red herring. Like like most could, of them. I mean, it could not even work either. I mean, it's from like hundreds of years ago. Like it could be a dormant thing that like Lysander puts a lot of stock into, and then it or it ends up being that he killed Cassius for nothing, which I think would totally. be a good lesson. Because I also have another note, another prediction here that's related to the bioweapon and to Lysander, um, where there is a bit of a, an arc for him. I don't know if it's like a complete redemption arc, because we have one book left. Even if it was like a thousand page book, I don't think we have enough time really for a full redemption arc for Lysander. But something I was thinking no, dude, was it would like... Take many books. Yeah, but like what I was thinking was maybe... Lysander comes to this realization that like this thing that he killed Cassius for and this thing that he was so you know determined to to have and to use or at least to have in his back pocket kind of amounted to nothing at all and maybe it kind of turns him in a different direction I do think Lysander is going to kill Atalantia for sure you think um, so yeah I, think I feel like her. he's got a pretty impressive kill like list behind him it's like he's yeah. getting too much and like he doesn't deserve that you know he'll he's not probably too... shoot her he'll probably <laughs> it's shoot not really her. that exactly. impressive like yeah dude um, but like like i'm so glad that at least atlas was taken down by cassius in an awesome yeah. duel and it wasn't like like he eventually was shot to death by um but he was by lysander he but was he was defeated yeah he, was he had defeated. lysander's razor wrapped around his neck so we could have just chopped off his head at a, at a thought but still um, yeah. You know, so I'm glad that Lysander didn't just cheat his way through that and ruin that part as well, because I just feel like he's a boring character and I want him to die. And I'll be mad if he has anything close to a redemption arc. Do you think Cassius would have let Darrow kill Lysander if the opportunity presented itself? Yep. You think so? And he would have done it exactly yeah. the same as as Lysander did to him because he would have been like I know that you're a plague that needs to be removed like you're a weed that needs to be pulled and I'm sad about it but like yeah. you gotta go. Cassius and Darrow are closer than Lysander and Cassius so totally yeah but it's you know it's just one of those things like they got to remember with these books and these kinds of situations is like how much of a history all these people have and um it was kind of something I was trying to keep in mind a lot was like you know when Lysander and Virginia meet up on Phobos it's like there's a lot of history here I mean like Virginia's known Lysander since he was a, a little kid uh 
Cassius and Lysander have known each other even before Cassius and Lysander were palling around the, the solar system together. Um, it's just a lot of history and a lot of personal stuff going on here. Um, so yeah, but that being said, Cassius and Darrow, I mean, they're, they're, they're bros till the end in this book. I mean, they're the best bros ever. Yeah. Cause there's like a difference, right? Like I feel like Lysander was always like on the outside of the cool kids. Like he was a cool kid by definition because of his last name, but like, he's so cool that everyone else just avoided him. Cause it's better to not like get fucked with. Cause it's either like lo- you either win or you lose and losing is like getting your head chopped off or something at that level. So he was just kind of like left alone as a child and always felt, he was one of the cool kids because technically he was, but not really invited to but their parties. Really, yeah. yeah. And didn't get to, because there's like a difference between having like a, you know, like babysitting big brother sort of relationship. Then like going through the formative years of your life with like your best friend who experienced those things for the first time with like, sure. that's a real deep bond, you know? Uh, I feel like Lysander, um, honestly was pretty jealous of like their relationship, you know, and kind of yeah, always maybe. wanted that and never really like had it. And he's like, Don, I don't want you to care for me. Cassius. Yeah. Actually, it. I hadn't really thought about that before, but I can totally see why, uh, that would kind of add on to Lysander's resentment of Darrow actually, especially considering Lysander's relationship with, uh, the other people that were closer to his age that were in his extended family before who yeah. had also kind of shunned him. Yeah. He's just kind of an odd duck in his own family. And I feel like, um, and it's not even really his fault. No, it's not. But I mean, you know, he's still a little prick. So I mean, yeah, he could have <laughs> he could have prick. made the most of it, and he turned he doubled down, which is the story of his life. And unfortunately, the man, like you started this whole Lysander conversation up with, I really thought that he was going in a different direction, and I had very good. I kind of thought he would always be evil, but I thought he would be like challenged with it a little bit, you know, and not commit so yeah. easily. Yeah, he went like full Nero Augustus, like that first speech in Red Rising. You know, it's like that bad, you know? It's just yeah, like, totally. Okay, you can geez. see the spittle flying and oh the tiny God. little mustache. And like, <laughs> yeah, it was like ridiculous. I was kind of confused about the chapters with Quicksilver uh, on that like asteroid. Can we talk about that a little bit? Yeah, like, that was that was uh, insecure writing again. <laughs> dude, okay. <laughs> like, guys, I got great ideas. Hey, not everyone's doing the same thing in this. It's a very diverse solar system. You don't even know. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, was that Brown just like kind of getting rid of Quicksilver and and Mateo and like and flexing at the same time? Yeah, it was a double double effective whammy for him. <laughs> And Pierce, I know you're listening and I love your writing, but you know, you do write with some insecure twists. I'm just going to say, <laughs> I don't know if I would call them insecure. I think he just has so many sp- like plates spinning that you just got to kind of like let a couple of them fall and break sometimes. Yeah, but occasionally he lights one on fire and throws it and does a little trick. And you're like, dude, it's not necessary. <laughs> yeah, but at least it looks cool when it happens. I mean, like, I, like even the Quicksilver parts were kind of interesting because. I mean, effectively what they're doing is they're just like bailing on their own Garden of Eden. Like, <laughs> sure they're building like the tabula rasa yeah it's like that scene from don't look up when like all the rich people get into a spaceship and leave you know i mean that is that is kind of what it the impression it gave me and then i think it was severo who was like i hate you so much dude like you're and especially because quicksilver started the rising with uh fistner you know so yeah he was like i could see why severo was so upset about all of that too he's just leaving he was like an OG and then was just like, actually, I was in it for the money. I didn't think that I was at the beginning, but I am actually. And now I can just like go off and start my own place somewhere else. And we'll just like have a bunch of commerce and I'll get richer and it'll be great. I mean, good for Quicksilver, I guess. I mean, yeah, it's, I think it's um, I it seemed like it would be pretty disappointing for the Solar Republic um, having once had this kind of like resource in Quicksilver. Um, and he's just kind of like, I don't want to deal with this anymore. 
Yeah, um, he couldn't he couldn't commit enough to hurt himself ever, you know. I don't I think I don't think it was like to completely sever that uh storyline without any um resolution or depth or anything. I think it had a little bit of it. It was just kind of like a a strange like stopover, you know what I mean? Like in a book where like the pacing is pretty breakneck and then we're kind of like over here for a little bit and then it's like totally okay. But then we pick up Lyria and stuff, so I mean I get it, but he needed to be ending, weird. you know, he like paid him off kind of i feel like he gave him some like cool treats like i got you this really cool helmet like i'm not gonna help you but i made you an awesome <laughs> helmet here's a go now you can look really cool i gave it a name even it's a named helmet so it's really special and then uh I, I don't know you know i think quicksilver it it though it was resolved and done very well and like not everyone can be on the like path of those who right. do the hard thing but like i do think it's always kind of a disappointing narrative when somebody ends by like running away he's running away and he was just kind of like all right i'm just not gonna face it i don't want to deal with it anymore i'm just going to turn my back on it and go make a thing over here which you know that's cool sometimes but it doesn't really like inspire you it doesn't inspire you you know i think some part of me was just kind of like <laughs> i wish i was on that astro- like if, we all like wish we I, were on that ship that's the problem <laughs> some right? part of us does yeah like oh for the, sure yeah, yeah we want to like live and be in peace yeah totally totally I, yeah I it's get the it. inner coward yeah but then you don't because <laughs> you're friends and your family and sure. thousands of you know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> millions and billions of people this are... is why i say it's not inspiring you know but it is a thing that you can do that's not a bad thing necessarily yeah it's like a, it's almost like a necessary aspect of this conflict would yeah be, yeah you know what i mean so I, like no part of me thought it was, it was bad there. no not at all it, it was, i think it was just i felt like we were there for a little while and i was just like what is going on right i had to like just think about we picked up lyria scene. there too right yes that's that's yeah. i think what, what a lot of the function of that was um, okay let me ask you a question yeah do you think lyria is an overall aid to this series or an overall detractor because we spend a lot of time kind of developing her and then like kind of developing things about her and then kind of integrating her into it do you think that she's uh, this is gonna sound really heartless and i mean it i guess as much as i mean it uh, worth it (laughs) i don't know um i thought she was really i don't i feel like lyria has like really awesome chapters yeah. In both Iron Gold and Dark Age, uh, and she's a pretty interesting character because she's still a red. But why is that interesting? Because everybody else is a gold, and you know what but I mean. Daryl's the red. We already have that box checked. Yeah, we have, like, a the gold. red. Darrow's, yeah, <laughs> I guess. But like, um, I think it's kind of cool when Lyria. I feel like Lyria kind of like takes the place of the reader sometimes. You know what I mean? Oh, Where it's like, oh, that's cool. Lyria is still. I mean, physically. Um, smallest stature compared to yeah it makes a lot of sense so it's like she's kind of i feel like she's almost there to remind us like how like the like the scope of the situation almost Mm -hmm. like she did that on purpose that's pretty brilliant you know because i agree with you like what you're saying yeah because like i i mean i'm not in pierce brown's head or anything but i feel like in iron gold especially um she's kind of there to show us or we're kind of like looking at the results of the solar republic through lyria's eyes as a red um being attacked by a a separate faction of the rising you know what i mean and then, and then so kind of like expanding out into totally that. yeah i always got that she represented the common person you know sure uh so i think that in this book um also the reader i like that too yeah uh, but that's just kind of like how i look at, at it and i mean that's I, think, cool. I think some of her chapters are not necessarily boring i think with lyria sometimes i'm just kind of like why are we doing any of this right now um, yeah and especially I because i feel too. like same thoughts i think that the um like the figment thing was like a little bit like kind of dropped it was the most um, insecure thing that he has done this whole series 
<laughs> why, why do you say insecure? I was just curious. Like, what do you because mean? Because his story is good enough without it needing a doohickle, a dongle thing, a, th- a thing that's like, whoa, interesting. You know, like, uh, it's it's good enough upon relationship alone, and like just the actions and the events of the story taking place that he doesn't need to put us on a carnival ride in the middle of it. He can just mm. keep continuing his story without trying to amaze me. And I'm I'm here for you, man. Like, it's really good writing, and so. <laughs> but he doesn't think so, so he tries to make it better. I think that's what's happening, right? You know, I mean, I don't know. Makes sense to me. I remember um, I was reading a, a review for the latest uh, album by the band The Killers, uh, and it was, like pitch, it was on Pitchfork. It was on Pitchfork, and I, I don't really go on Pitchfork very much, but I, every now and then I do want to kind of like see how they like shredded one of my favorite bands' like newest albums. <laughs> and um, I think one of the 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 critiques of it from from the writer on Pitchfork said. Uh, the killers think that every song that they have is the last song that they should play at Coachella, you know, and <laughs> it's just like, like the, <laughs> it's just like the energy that like, they're just so, so they're just like so extra and like over oh the top God. of like everything. And I, but that's why I love the killers so much. And like for me, like that's why I love Pierce Brown so much. And I, I know exactly. I love these, the I know. And every <laughs> and every so killers funny. fan knows that, but it's like, I feel like with, uh, these books, yeah. I mean, uh, I did read that uh, Brown got like I think he said I think it said like four hundred or eight hundred. I can't remember how many. I think it was four hundred. He was like four hundred pages in, and then he scrapped everything and started from scratch uh, and wow. did a rewrite. So I, I think if that, he was stuck in Dark Age stuff and it was just unhappy enough. And he's like, no, 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 I gotta switch so, up. I don't know because like um, I've definitely I think there are some. I think like what you're talking about here, especially with some of the things that got dropped by the wayside, or at least if not dropped, just kind of given like the oh, it was a it was just a prototype, like whatever, you know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? Like I, um, I think that part of that, like what it is, is like I feel like this book was kind of similar to George Martin's like Feast for Crows in the sense that we're kind of far into the, this series now. There are a ton of pieces on the board, and it felt like the author was kind of aware of that, and rather than try to handle everything in a giant sprawling like 1,200 page book, he sort of cordoned off some of the antagonists and the point of view characters and some of the narrative elements and stuff and gave them a little time to shine at the beginning altogether but then narrowed focus to level out some storylines later i'm saying all of that i know this was kind of rambling great critique that was a great critique the reason i'm saying all of that is because i'm still after so much good faith in this author willing to give brown the pet the benefit of the doubt in the seventh book even though some things were kind of dropped I think that he, after now knowing that he scrapped so much of a, of, of a, the first go around and then did a rewrite and everything, I think that he just kind of had some plates spinning in Dark Age and decided to break them in for the greater good of the story itself. So that's what I'm hoping happened. I, I do think that he's like a very much capable enough writer and a confident Damn enough right. writer. That's why I think that when you said insecure, I was like, what are you talking about? Like, I don't see that no, at all. No, no. But I do it's understand. It's almost the opposite. Yeah. I'm saying like his writing is so good. He doesn't need to swear a lot. He's not a comedian that needs to talk dirty. You know, he, he he's good. So it's like a compliment kind of hidden in like a bro, like believe in yourself, man. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on a little bit. Let's move on a little bit. Okay. 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 So, um, Though I did like that. That was fun. Um, I will try not to talk about Cassius and Lysander anymore because we probably just sure. got well we'll probably we'll try not to talk about Cassius and Lysander anymore because I'm sure we just hit that uh, nail all the way no, I've got the some way. other questions here that I think are a little bit different than the okay Lysander okay yeah Cassius stuff all right so Darrow and Apollonius's duel I had mixed feelings about it uh, I think you're supposed to have mixed feelings about it I hated it yeah Darrow got the <laughs> shit kicked out of him it sucked to yeah, watch what the hell um, he didn't even I mean, training 
it was it was pretty rough that was a pretty, <laughs> pretty rough, <laughs> i was like damn is this where darrow dies like yeah and the rest it's of like the series is like well i mean every time i sit down cross cross applesauce my legs go numb like <laughs> like all right like we not get so old quite quite so fast so i wanted to ask a couple of different questions so first question do you think darrow and apollonius will have a rematch in book seven because apollonius yeah, was to. i think it would be pretty cool man mm-hmm. like um that would be that would be pretty awesome and to caveat on top, just to say on top of that, I really think that um, it was good that we at least had him totally smoke uh, Thaw. Like that fight, right. he just rocked yeah. him like the whole time yeah. and that was needed. I needed some like Darrow being Darrow, you know? I actually want to come back to the Fa thing real quick after we talk about the uh, dockyards and Venus and stuff real quick. Because the Fa stuff is really important. Um, oh, and yeah. I also have, uh, but I, I agree with you because... The Fa fight was like way more satisfying than the Apollonius fight, but I think that it, I think that the Apollonius and Darrow fight was by design not supposed to be satisfying for. I think you're right. But what I was he supposed add, to tell us? Then, that, like, that, like Darrow just had some more work in front of him. Well, and Darrow's um, Willow Way like fighting style is has been um, old news. found out by everybody. Like, <laughs> like he, yeah, I mean, like he, um, and I think that like his. I think there's a certain kind of like metaphor in there for like, you know, he was kind of like a, a like a, a rock or like a tree branch kind of before, but now he's like the wind kind of, you know, so it's like he's a little bit more like malleable and a little bit more, you know, oh, what, I, you know what I mean? Like, kind of like, I, yeah, get, grow up, get with the times, do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep up with things. Yeah. I could be wrong about that, but like this is kind of like how I like he's he's evolving into a more flexible and that's always been like his downfall is that he's been so rigid that he has killed millions of people <laughs> that totally. he like might not have had to. But that's a whole different conversation. But anyway, um, a bull in the china shop, that man. I do want <laughs> a, <laughs> a rigid bull and a hound off the leash. <laughs> uh, so I wanted to ask you about the uh, situation with Severo at the dockyards. Okay, so I was reading that scene with like super epic like sci-fi music playing. It was so badass. I was I was like so zoned into it. Where he comes in to save Cassius and yes, uh, but then like after I I kind of like took my headphones out and like sat and thought about that part for a little bit. I was like, man, Severo really just blasted in there and rescued them, and they ran away. Like it was just like very like in and out. Get it, got it, good. Okay, I don't know. It was a little unbelievable for me, uh, but then also, uh, again, like it's Severo. Right, right. Well, there's it, the it, thing, and that's like that's more that's not insecure writing. That's a little maybe lazy writing, right? Because he knows that his character's <laughs> so good that like we'll just be like, yeah, but this is Severo, Severo. totally pull that off, and he totally could. So it's like, yeah, I he do had, kind of feel it was armor. a little vanilla pudding though, for sure. He had the armor and everything, and not to mention, I mean, the Carthii were attacking. It's not like Severo just burst in there when like all of apollonius's forces were like focused totally. on that he took advantage it was of a moment, yeah, yeah. Uh, but also like i don't know i also actually i thought it was pretty cool when apollonius was like well because darrow was like did you kill severo and apollonius was like he's with the rats and uh, that could mean <laughs> like all kinds of different things but i just i thought that was pretty awesome and it, it, i think it means he's been fucking annoying me for the last two months and i'm embarrassed that's what to I've... talk about it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so i mean I, I went through a couple of different phases of like feelings about it because like the first phase was like that was amazing and then the second phase was kind of like Ah, uh, that, that seemed it felt a little too easy, you know. But then, for sure, my my final kind of like round of thoughts about it was like, I don't care as long as Severo and Cassius and Darrow are back together. Like, it's just the method 
I'm not bothered by it. Okay, but he really held out for a long time in this book before we got the like true Se- Severo Dero Cassius like brohood, right? Because Severo yeah, was like yeah. pretty mopey seventy five percent of this book, with very and then, like, good. Kind of came to around be. at the end a little, you know, with extremely good reason to be. Well, like, yeah, okay. Like, I mean, I can't. I'm not like saying, but I mean, he was specifically aiming it at Darrow, and I, you know, I guess he could tertiarily. Why would you not? Like, why would you? I mean, think think about it this way. Like Darrow explains it too. He's like, he's like, I have asked Severo to risk his neck for me and put his family on the line. Right, and Severo so said many yes. times in a row. Like, but, but I think it, what Darrow's talking about to take on all of the bad. What I'm saying, what I'm saying though, is like the Darrow's rationale behind it and why he's so steadfast about I know. Severo. <laughs> why he's so steadfast about Severo doing what he wants to finally is that like the sheer volume of times you know what i mean like the sheer like number (laughs) of occurrences that severo has like put himself on the line put his family on the line for darrow and even like what's that quote from like the second book or something where uh, severo says something to the effect of like i would do all this for you but i'm not sure you would do all of this for me yeah yeah you know what i mean and so that's part of like darrow's arc with this is like darrow's finally understanding that he can't keep asking his best friend to do this stuff for him. Right. Severo's in his Robin too many times. Not to mention, I think this is a very, very well done part of the book for like, uh, kudos to Pierce Brown. I think he knows Darrow and Severo so well that he's able to write these arcs so well because Severo has to come to these decisions on his own. Like Severo needs to feel like he's a part of this yeah on autonomous uh, yes exactly uh if this is a uh, his own accord um he's doing this for his reasons and not darrow's reasons 100 so, and we get that later he he goes into his dad's shoes you know um of his own choosing it's not because darrow's like come on man just one more war just one more battle <laughs> just one more one nuke more belly, you know baby. I mean? yeah just come on man. we just need seriously like three more nuclear explosions <laughs> and we totally go home to your kids one more of your kid gets <laughs> nailed to a like tree and then you get totally fluid <laughs> yes exactly so uh I think it was really, really brilliantly done. I think uh, Severo's uh, animosity towards Cassius makes a ton of sense, but obviously yeah. we're getting a little. They've bit always kind of had a little tiffy thing. Cassius killed his dad. I mean, yeah, yeah, I'd be pretty mad too. Yeah, and sure. like he always called him a goody, like a, you like pretty boy, you know. And then he always made Severo for being found like a, a lowborn plebe, you know. <laughs> this is, is going to segue into something else that I kind of was like, what the fuck? But like, I like the scene where. Ari comes in and gives Severo the hollow tape or whatever. And then Fitchner calls Severo his little goblin or whatever. And it's, it's like, <laughs> yeah. he's got the little baby Severo and stuff. I thought that was really cool. Uh, that being said, <laughs> the daughters of Ares thing, I was, oof, Dude. oof, man. Like I'm singing Pierce Brown's praises all over this book, but it seemed kind of weird to be like, aha, there are totally more people that can help right over here you know it's just like okay i guess so yeah (laughs) like how many times we're gonna divide the obsidians we need a new tribe unknown before (laughs) yeah i don't know i thought it was just kind of like maybe it has too many and not enough resources maybe it'll make sense in book seven i just thought it was kind of like tossed in there like hey by the way there's this whole other force over here you had no idea about you know we were in the shadows like okay like, <laughs> yeah, all right <laughs> what a perfect yeah, like, place to put something that has a huge impact on my story yeah like i'm glad in that shadow has nothing to do with the shadows didn't come from the like underground like what he would have known know. he would have known you're not building anything under darrow you're not, you're not getting away with that and like wouldn't the daughters of Ares made 
the first part of the rising a lot easier like yeah, <laughs> yeah like they, they could have done something anything other like, than coming in and stealing our champion and then putting him on trial for two weeks in the middle of like a ton of attacks <laughs> like, well, i mean daryl had it coming like, though dude weird. like i mean i don't know if i really agree I mean, with you on that as did much. he have like, it coming though because he's already suffered so much in dark age he was on trial that whole damn book for his past you know right but i mean he's they come along and like, hey you know that thing that you just went through like a ton of for we're gonna do it he nuked a bunch of people on shipyards yeah but i mean like, how many times do people have to be like dockyards he's like i got it i get it like <laughs> it's really bad it's really really bad yeah, like well he, he should be has on... been fighting even against an me. enemy that's really bad dude, and this... sometimes you have to do really bad things <laughs> <laughs> there it did prevent the me. rim from killing him yeah like imagine if he didn't it wouldn't have done that he would have been obliterated by the rim probably like maybe 10 years ago you know? like <laughs> dude maybe yeah like we're not at the end of this series yet maybe daryl's spent his usefulness by now like <laughs> yeah it's you know i can't i i always say like there's so much dying in this like millions are mentioned to us multiple multiple times but like yeah. i can never bring myself to say but life under the golds is better right like i think i would rebel against that too Oh yeah, so, absolutely. I'd rebel against the golds. Yeah, really between a rock and a hard place. This whole society. Uh, so this is like a clarifying question. Um, I must have missed something here, but why isn't Darrow with Cassius and Atlas and Lysander when they're all fighting? Where is he? He's like awaiting word on a ship, <laughs> like that doing nothing. Yeah, like, I don't really know. He Can was, somebody like... in the Discord please clear that up for me and Chad? Because I, I, I know it's probably something like really obvious. Involved. I can't remember exactly what it was. There's like a reason for it, but I think I just missed that uh this is a i just remember book, like so miss some things. hearing about his um nervousness you know like waiting upon word the, for the word so i have it in my yeah. idea i have this idea in my head of him just like pacing like in his room waiting for word i really do want an answer to that so if people listening please head into the discord and let me know what the hell that i've just i know there's a reason like i'm aware of it but I, right it seems like we should add several even popping out to save him you know yeah i mean like darrow and Severo in that room would have Save they wouldn't send Cassius, Cassius like life. that, yeah, into something like that alone either. If they knew that was going down, they would have been we're like, missing no, something we're here. Be with There's you. a big piece that I didn't like comprehend or something that I'm missing. That, yeah, especially uh, when we had the bro scene between him and Daryl, like, totally making like, dude, so glad that we have our friendship back. Like, I will always have your back, like, except for this <laughs> except one time for, like, you're gonna die like two hours from now. <laughs> yeah, I think there's something there, though. I'm I think we're missing so something. Yes, totally. What did you think about Darrow's soldier's little like? No, you can't go save Severo. Okay, fine, go save Severo. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I think that was just like a way of kind of like his crew kind of communicating like, dude, you've done enough. Like, let's go. Like, let's go to Mars. Like, this is... Are you going to go do another one of your crazy missions? You know, I mean, no one like, even waved yeah. to him when he was like Reaper salute or whatever. They also like, <laughs> that was looked really at him. Awkward. Was like, yeah, it was really awkward. And <laughs> I was like, like... An empty room. Yeah, well, they like know what friends should do, so they're like, "No, we can't let you go into this super dangerous situation." And then he's like, "I'm gonna do it, like for sure." And they're like, "Okay, yeah, I need to get out of here." We don't even fucking care. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I read it as, and I might have been misreading this, but I read it as kind of like this kind of like schism mentally. These people just aren't like Darrow, and they're they're a lot more fatigued with this war and like with jumping around the solar system, going on rescue missions and blowing up dockyards and like they just yeah, want to go to mars committed. you know like and and i'm not saying like darrow is just like built different let's not i don't mean it like i just mean it in the sense that like i think darrow's a little bit like addicted to i was gonna say he's a little kinda, built different yeah he's, i mean he's, i think he's, he's fanatic. Just, i think he's just a little bit like and several his several his best friend he's got a different connection to several than the rest of these people do so, well it's an honorable thing actually because 
Darrow realized what this movement needed a long time ago, which was kind of like a figure pad, like a piece that it could revolve around. Someone that was so committed that was absolutely unshakable. That's what an army can 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 get around. And so he's and he's aware, very aware of the sacrifices that he's had to make in order to commit. But he committed at a young age and has not faltered in any way in his commitment. Also, um, I think that um, part of Darrow's growth is like delegating and understanding that he can't take everything on and i think what virginia represents yeah. is a certain sort of like more consistent more stable like figurehead of this republic you know she's a leader and I, I think he understands that too and so he's like go to mars like go to virginia like go there like she's way cooler than me she's a leader like, he's an yeah, idea yeah it, that's a very very good way of putting it so i mean yeah i thought that scene was like kind of hard to read honestly because he was just like yeah and they were just like yeah, just he, he, it was like his just, name too he was like yeah. reaper and <laughs> i was like man they couldn't give like a half-hearted like all right Kat. Like, <laughs> um speaking of like plans and and how people feel about things and and, and all that stuff uh, i have a question here atalantia uh she's a total wild card like i don't know what the hell she's really too much you know what i mean uh but and we get, like, in a really cool way i really like atalantia a lot even though she's barely on the page but anyway so, i don't know what she's doing though um did she really believe that taking luna first and then waiting what was it like six months or something i don't was gonna know the game she's playing there's some sort of like really high-minded politicking here going on that you and i can't really decipher because like it seemed like a terrible idea like i understand she stays on, on top surface. Though, all the time so like you know she's yeah gonna... i know like on on its surface i mean it seemed like she was just kind of trying to appease certain like wealthy people like because there were people that were like oh, i want my stuff back or whatever whatever the hell was going on um and then there were places on earth too that she was kind of trying to like divvy up and make sure people were being uh you know made whole on and things like that uh but it seems like i don't know either something else is going on or atalantia doesn't really seem to care much about mars or doesn't seem but then also okay so the reason i'm, I'm kind of rambling about this but like the reason i say all this though is that Okay, let me get my thoughts in order here. So we haven't invaded Mars yet in this book. Uh, we they, there's a battle on Phobos. Uh, there are battles on the poles of Mars and stuff, but there's no there's no rain done on Mars. There's no ground invasion. There's not any of that stuff that happens because uh, maybe not because, but like uh, earlier in the book, Atlas explains to Lysander like why it would be so difficult to invade Mars. You know, because Lysander's just like, Mars must fall. And then, uh, you know, Atalantia and uh, he's mostly, like, glory, glory, glory. Atlas is like, dude, do you have any idea, like, how much of a pain in the ass it would be to invade Mars right now? Like, totally. it's just, he gives, like, this big list of reasons why it basically is impossible. Um, so what I'm thinking is maybe Atalantia is kind of like looking at everything from, like, with a, like, a very wide-angle lens and saying, okay, what can I do? right now that will like strengthen as much as we can oh, luna can, and earth yeah what's you know a realistic what I mean? like, goal dude and that's so that's smart. why i think that like and luna was this throne room it's the capital dude, it's right a, you mean, know it's like it has a earth it has luna. an idea of it as well you know but also i think it's kind of silly of her to like prioritize earth and luna when the rim has proved so important and dude, she's this... essentially ostracizing the rim i just figured like, it out Go for it. Yeah. What happens to all the people in the in the rim? They're betraying the hell out of each other. They're like making power the, games and power you plays. Mean the society. Yeah, yeah. Like all okay. of the rim people, all the families are just like you know oh, blowing okay. up each yeah, other's, sure. you know, taking over each other's um, ships from the inside and like poisoning everyone and blowing up armadas and stuff. 
I think she was like, I don't want to be a part of that. And I'll, I can just let them bicker it out over there. And yes, I won't gain as much with Luna, but I can have something like you said, I can take what's realistic now and just remain strong and let everyone else eat each other. And then I'll fight the one Mm. who finally wins over there. When they're limping too. Totally. Yeah. That's actually really smart. She just let them eat each other up. I wonder if that's it. Yeah. I mean, I can't cause, um, she's, she seemed really upset with Lysander for taking so many resources and going to Mars. Um, and also, Lysander and Virginia make a sort of, I wouldn't call it a pact really, but they make a sort of deal where um, Virginia essentially like gives Phobos to Lysander um, in as she many can get words. Her people out. And she gets her people out and they go back to Mars and stuff. And he gets um, oracles too, right? Am I right in that? I don't remember. He asked for two oracles, I think, the two, the weird like truth snake things. Oh, I think that was part of it, yeah. Yeah. Um, maybe, I think, uh, I don't know. Um, but... Shortly after that, um, the rim is under attack, and then Lysander dips out with Diomedes because he wants to he wants to keep his rim connections, and the only way he feels that he can do that is to go support them over there. Uh, do you think that that was a wise choice on Lysander's part to to leave Phobos so so quickly after winning it uh, because he might have lost the rim, or what? What do you think about that? Yeah, I don't think it was. I mean, I think when you get something kind of like um, Atalantia is showing us, you keep it. And the uh, the ability to keep a thing that you have taken, I think, is a far much more powerful statement than the ability to um, go and earn temporary glory by just like blazing a trail of destruction across the solar system. You know, so I think if you would have like well, they're helping the build rim a defend fort, itself. you know, what is he? He doesn't have a he doesn't have a fort anywhere. He needs a place. You know, sure, he needs to like, yeah, yeah. carve a spot out for himself because he's just a little pawn being used by other people. Um, and he totally. thinks that he's on top right now because he just took out the people he was most afraid of in his side that he had seen been the most devious. And so he out devious them because he's just evil now. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, but it's only a matter of time. So someone just comes and kills him and does exactly what he did to other people and takes his power. You know, I think Lysander is um, pretty crafty, but he's not nearly as crafty as Atalantia is. Hell so. no. What did you think about Lyria being the one to tell Severo about Ulysses? Do you like that? I, or? Yeah, I don't know. I had kind of mixed feelings about it because like at the, uh, on the one hand, I felt like Severo needed to know just because it's his son, like he deserves to know. Um, I don't, I don't see Lyria as like any kind of like any worse of a vehicle to deliver that information than, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's like, totally. cause I feel like if Severo had gotten to Mars and knew that Lyria had known oh, while, it, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, I, I think that it makes a lot of sense, um, for her to, and it did him. kind of begin a little like. Like he, because she was the one to deliver that information and he saw, she saw him that like my moment of like raw agony that he experienced when he totally. learned what she was saying. Um, it kind of like gave him and her this like unspoken bond kind yeah, of like we no, can be like sure. super insecure with each other, like emotional with each other. Cause both of those characters really kind of harbor their, you know, tuck their emotions away, but they feel them because awful things happen to them. Um, and so like they even have like a conversation a little later on in the book where they're both going through stuff. Um, and they kind of talk to each other and like, and Severo expresses how he feels and she expresses how she feels with her, uh, with Volga and everything. And, uh, and then they're like, cool. And then she, and then Severo ends up supporting her later when she wants to go, oh, she wants to do her plan to go talk to Volga. Severo's totally. like, I got her back. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> yeah. it kind of begins this cool, like, I don't know, it kind of breaks the emotional walls down between them. And I thought it was like a cool little thing. And if there's anything that I do really like about the addition to the story that is Lyria was little things like that, you know, like sometimes we have, characters that are too big to have these conversations with like we need 
a shoulder to lean on sometimes and it can't be like Cassius, you know? Totally. I agree with you. And also, I mean, Lyria was there when Ulysses was born. So I feel like uh, Severa has a certain kind of like, she was the last one to see my son kind of thing. Like she saw his son and nobody else did. So he feels like she's like a connection to his son almost. That's kind of like how I felt it. And I think it's kind of mentioned in a, in a weird, totally. in, a, in kind of a way. Um, what do you think, speaking of kids, um, what do you think Pax's role in book seven is going to be? Because he seems to be kind of being trained up in a, in a very hyper-specific way. I don't know. I feel like he j- I don't. He hasn't really added anything to the story for me besides the fact that he exists. Like, the idea of him does, but, like, any re- any actual connection with him. So, like, but he's obviously being presented to us and given page time for some reason. So I think he's going to take stage maybe or at least have some sort of ending yeah. note on this story. You know, he's going to be maybe the hope that strides forward, I think, after Dara dies. Maybe. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm curious too. I mean, it seems like he's being kind of like groomed for a sort of, uh, command in a, in a way, but not in the same way in a much more kind of like structured way than Darrow is. Um, yeah. I'm more very style. curious to see what's going on with Pax. Cause like, again, we got one book left. I feel like I don't know Pax well enough for him to have oh. like the kind of impact that he might get or yeah, it might be yeah. attempted in the next book, but we'll see about that because I, I mean i really liked the conversation between him and his mom i thought, I thought yeah. that was great i think it was really necessary to have that in this book but he gives good then advice he's just kind of like he's just kind of done for the rest of this book and um i don't know it's daryl's kid like i don't know this, this is what i hope out of the pax character happens because like you said we don't have enough page time in re- relation to like the size and scope of this series to grow him enough to be impactful in the way that we think that he might be um so i kind of what hope i hope that we get a little Every few chapters, like little one paragraph snippets of us being like reminded of the qualities that we need to know that he has of him, like having good values and being an honest person, like a stand up guy. And then in the end, when Darrow's like dying, you know, he's somehow (laughs) presented to us as like, but we are fine. We have the next one who's ready to take his place and is going to do it better and learn from the sins of his father sort of thing, you know, Uh, because I don't need to know him too much in order to trust him. But I do need a little bit of page time with him to see his values, you know. Yeah, I mean, he is, he's like gold, but he's also red, but he's being like trained by blues. Yeah. It's, um, he's, he's, he's got all, he's got all kinds of stuff going on. Yeah. Also with the, if there's a biochemical weapon that will take out a, a whole cast, wouldn't, uh, like if the reds were killed, then wouldn't Pax be safe because he's got a little gold in him? Yeah, yeah, totally. So, I mean, not even a little, like half. Hey, it's half. Yeah, I, I guess that's true. Um, yeah, I was just like thinking about it like that too. Let's move over to uh, the duel between Darrow and Volsung Fa towards the end of this book because, uh, so in my opinion, I think it was it was incredibly satisfying. It was really epic. The the clang 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 thing was super cool. It kind of gave me the uh, the same energy as like the um, the the viper versus the mountain in uh song yeah. of fire it was it really really cool with, yeah it didn't end the same which is really awesome but i mean it Super was awesome okay so uh them hiding in the leviathan was amazing it was kind of a callback to the first oh, book too. straight like, it throwback was, it was so awesome okay that was really nice. all of that being said i personally would not have introduced volson fa as the kind of like wimpy dude that he is until i would have revealed that in the duel if i was 
putting this together. I think totally. it, me knowing that it wasn't actually like a super badass, like godlike obsidian, yep. kind of just removed I don't know. all of his power. I don't know. It didn't remove all of his power. He was still like fairly capable, you know, but it's just like yeah, but he doesn't have the soul, you know. Like sure. now, I'm doing. Now I'm being a cast. I'm being a Lysander over here. The goals are <laughs> at the top, but you know there is something to be said for a the, a peerless's scarred, you know, determination and like the uh, the the pride that he has will force him to do ridiculous things sometimes, you know. Sure, I mean he what, doesn't have it. Do you? What do you think about the fight itself? Like reading it, it was very satisfying, but it wasn't fun and dangerous. I think it was fun, but it wasn't dangerous. Like I was yeah, never right, worried right. Was, about. Because then it was like, because like Daryl's just like, oh no, like I've been poisoned. But then it's like, well, no, actually, I have like a couple sentences later. He's just like, good thing I have this anti-poison thing that I was dude, totally prepared with. And it's just like, okay, has then what's the his... point of even poisoning him at all, then, dude? Like, I what's... know, dude. Daryl has his own father's own people screaming at what's the thing like retribution. Like he has them screaming, chanting something that he yeah. keeps saying to Fa. Like, like, what is it? Is it retribution or like, I can't remember. it's something like that, uh, like revenge or something. And he, he keeps chanting it over and over. And like by minute two of the fight, the obsidians, Fa's obsidians are like chanting with Darrow because <laughs> it's just, just so rousing, you know? Um, So yeah. it was a very good, like, it was epic. It was, it was very epic. epic. It was very epic. It was yeah. a very good showcase of what Pierce Brown can do when you give him two awesome people and awesome weapons and make and yeah. an awesome location and awesome technology to fly yeah. around the boots that was pretty cool you know well, i love how cassius was like don't fly around in the boots like the second <laughs> it, it was so cool that like darrow has to do these this duel but cassius is like the much more capable fighter and he's just like all right i know you're gonna want to do this stupid thing that you're you're already thinking about <laughs> but don't do it really don't do it a lot. that was cool yep yeah it's funny cassius is so He's so elegant, you know, he's just like, like he like insults you and he fights you and stuff. It would have been probably more fun to actually watch Cassius do, but it would have been a lot shorter. Yeah, probably. You know, yeah, but that was where Darrow like... finds his new way of fighting and stuff, which I thought was a really cool yeah. scene. It was great. Really well done. Old dogs, um, new tricks. Great. Yeah, totally. I mean, he's getting older. Uh, it's time to put something else, you know, to put to the, put it to the test and try some other things out. I think that's what like this book is all about. You know, I mean, I feel like that's. This book is about like Daryl turning into a more flexible person, Daryl coming to terms with a lot of different things. I mean, like his speech that he gives when he's on trial, it's very good. Like it's something that I feel like Daryl from Red Rising and Golden Sun probably wouldn't I mean he yeah. might have said something similar, but it wouldn't have had that weight and it wouldn't have it wouldn't have been it the is. same. Did it surprise anyone though? No, they're like, "You're right. I am guilty for millions. I have put many. I have bathed in innocent's yeah. blood." Like, yeah, like I was like, "Yeah, no, this is. He needs to get this. He needs a public like gnashing of his teeth and sackcloth and ashes, you know, and then yeah. he can get forgiven, you know, publicly, and it'll be fine." Yeah, <laughs> he will die it. at the end of the story, though. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, let's let's move on to predictions. We've been talking about uh, all the stuff that's been happening in this book. Obviously, we could go on and on and on about a lot more details, um, but I think we covered a decent amount of the high points here. Uh, let's move on to what we think is going to happen in Red God. Wrapping up Red Rising, finally, uh, after seven months of us reading it. Everybody that's been here with us, thank you so much for giving me and Chad the time. Um, just our personal lives and our reading schedules and business schedules and stuff just didn't allow for us to crank this out the way that we really wanted to. So thank you everybody. Six months after Lightbringer came out for being here with us and listening to this episode. We really appreciate it. 
I could not agree more, man. If there's any book that I'm like a little embarrassed with the per, the performance that we did on it, not what we said or the episodes we made, but just the time it took us yeah, to read them. It, it was definitely this really one. And it's so funny too, because it was an unfortunate part within the series. Like we really just kind of hit the like holy mother of like accidentals. Like, and you really need to fly through those first two books. Not so you you need to do read them quick enough. So you don't forget the epicness of the first three. Yeah. Um, because you got to but... get through it, you know? Yeah, whatever. What are you going to do? Uh, let's uh, do? let's move into on. predictions. We'll do Red God for the podcast when it comes out. But for now, let's do predictions. Uh, I want to go first real quick because I got this written down. Let's do it. All right. So like I said earlier, I would love to see some kind of redemption in some way for Lysander. I'm not going to yeah. sit here and try to write it, but I think it would be cool if Lysander would just just turn around a little bit before he gets his comeuppance. Like, I want him to okay. see... I want him to see the change he could have been for good in his eyes. And I want some kind of modicum of understanding before he gets, before he gets his, uh, that will happen. I think like at the last maybe. second sort of I thing, right before yeah. he explodes, but he'll like decide to save himself. That, maybe, I don't know. Or something, you know. I don't think that Lysander is going to do a full 180. No, Let's, I don't think that, I think we're well past that. I don't think we could write it into the seventh book. Yeah, it's going to be a Darth Vader type thing. Yeah. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I do think uh, Lysander will kill Atalantia. Um, I think he will be the kind of like final, like, and I think that this could be wrong, but I really think that he's very similar to Nero. And I think that getting another Nero that with like those kinds of same ideals that really represent this kind of like, we are shepherds, we should, we are, we are the ultimate like power. That's it's the only way it'll work. Like if without us, it's all just chaos. He has a religious seal. Like, yeah. Um, so I think that Lysander will be the kind of like last gasp of the society, you know, and what all, what all of it means. I think it's good. Yeah. I'm not, I have no problem with Lysander being the big bad in the seventh book. I think it's totally, yeah, think... he's been, he's been here since the second book. I think, uh, I hope totally he's fine. not killed halfway through when we get Atlantia. That would suck. It's, I don't think I think Atlantia will get yeah. killed halfway through and we'll get Lysander. I think that's probably but anyway. I agree. I um, agree completely. I think that the Rim will fully side with the Republic. We were already kind of seeing that in this book. Mm -hmm. I think it makes total sense. Um the Rim has always kind of just been a little bit of a, a, a different thing than the inner planets. So I'd like to see more develop on that though. We kind of had a, a decent amount of it in the last part of this book, but I felt like it was a little bit kind of like just a little tossed in, you know, but I'm fine with, I mean, I would have been mad if we hadn't had any kind of resolution on it at all, but I want more conversations about that. I think the, the rim needs to be brought in in a way that they were never brought in with the, the uh, society. They um, never fully trusted. Also, uh, I think Mustang and Pax, will rule at the end of these books and i yep. think daryl will die yep dude you you picked my picked apart my brain man i i agree with basically everything you really? just said okay. yeah. yeah totally um yeah i was just thinking before you said it mustang and pax will kind of be like the ruler she'll be guiding him along because like if you think about it it makes so much sense mustang has always kind of been an independent character like to darrow like they've they're a yeah. team, but like Not, each yeah. are in such a highly ranked position of power that like they that has to be their first priority because if it's not thousands, millions of people will die. And so it's kind of like their their relationship can only get so deep because they've sold their lives to so much other things. So they're like an appropriate match, but it will lessen the blow to either one of them should they lose the other one. Like that person can totally survive without the other one. They have been doing it this whole time, you know? 
Um, Whereas we're not going to get that sort of thing with Severo and Victra. They are one, you know, they have like love. Yeah. I think Severo will, will survive this story. I believe Severo and Victra. Um, I agree. I don't think, yeah, Severo is just too good to kill. And I'm fine with it. He just can't. Don't kill Severo Pierce. I know you're listening right now. It's not a good idea, man. He's got to be the one who lives. <laughs> it's not He's a good idea. Be the one who lives. Kill yeah. Darrow, you, it's fine. Kill Mustang, too. I don't go fuck. If you, if you like, do kill, kill Severo, it'll be the most insecure thing you've ever done. It'll be like lifted truck insecure, man, for sure. <laughs> like, uh, do, you have any other, do you have any other predictions? Uh, no, but I have this quote. Oh, well, let's see. Do I have any other predictions? I have a quote, too. Um, <laughs> you nailed it so hard. I like agree with your timing. Uh, Atalantia is going to die halfway through. I don't necessarily think, yeah, it's totally going to be Lysander because he needs a big baddie to kill. And um, Darrow is going to have a rematch with Apollonius. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and he's going to take him down. Um, yeah, and I think he's Darrow... going to use his new style and be like a break dancer just out there blowing in the wind. It's going to be great. I think Daryl will win over the Carthiae too and the Votum. And like, I, I think that Daryl's going to start winning a lot of people over to his cause because of just how Lysander composes himself, especially if Lysander can continue failing his way to the top and kill Atalantia while also totally. still giving the kind of weird impression that he seems to be giving people. I think that some more houses are going to come over to Daryl's side. But I mean, also, yeah, a clean line will form between them. But maybe not too, because like these society houses and stuff coming over to Darrow, I feel like we'd have seven more books of them being greedy and factioning <laughs> off and like Yeah, you know I think I mean? like, like their cores are being destroyed. Like anyone who's like has the history of thirteen generations and has family swords and all that stuff is kind of being like cold, you know, because we can't really have it in order to make it real new. We can't have that sort of like old tradition because it's like not great. Totally. But we'll see. Um, I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think we're going to, yeah. I really hope. I'm going back to the Severo thing. I just want to really make sure you're listening, Pierce. Do not kill him. I will be, <laughs> be so very mad. upset. I will be more upset if you kill Severo than I will be if you bring Cassius back. Uh, okay, so I'm going to end with a cool quote that I thought liked very, that I liked a lot. And it is from Virginia Augustus. And it is, the measure of a man is not the fear he sows in his enemies. It is the hope he gives his friends. Ah, beautiful. So good. Fantastic. Yeah, Virginia. Yeah, don't reduce Virginia's bad. Amazing. Increase good. Increase good. Yes. That's what, that's what it seems like we're we're headed towards after we get rid of a few other lumps in the road. We do got to decrease bad. You know, I'm excited <laughs> for Red God. I think I need a break from Red Rising. I'm fine. I'm 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 happy that we're done with it. Um Yeah. Let, let's do a let's do a fun thing real quick before we leave. Okay. Um, let's uh let's rank these. Let's let's see. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, we got to Let's let's rank them out. Um, I think it'd be pretty fun. And we always do that with uh tr- with um series, so it's like you know, tradition, we gotta. Um, okay, let's see here. Let me write them out. So the one that I liked the least was Dark Age. Obviously. Oh wow. Yeah, Dark I just didn't okay. not not for me, not for me. No surprise to anyone. Uh then Iron Ink, then Iron Gold. Okay. Uh and then Lightbringer, this one. But there's like a pretty big jump between those. Like those, the bottom two are like in a different category. And then we got Morningstar, and then Red Rising, and then Golden Sun. Wow. Okay. Cool. Yeah. With the real stars being the first three. I think I could have probably predicted that as your. As I wrote <laughs> it, I was like, I'm so predictable, dude. I was like, gonna, I was like, gonna ask him, and then I was like, no, because I wouldn't do. I decided not to have you do that because I wouldn't do as good of a job predicting yours as you would do predicting <laughs> mine. See. 
Oh man, yeah. I think um, yeah, you really love those those that trilogy a lot. Yeah, so um, good. I do too. Yeah, I really love it. Uh, I was surprised to see Dark Age at the very bottom for you though. It's just because of how miserable it is. Like yeah, it's just, it's just yeah, yeah, it's just like you know, it's just it wasn't a complete yeah, book. First, you know, the, it was like the second like I mean, not the second like, sauce. The last like hundred fifty pages of Dark Age for me like really just I I, I mean it took it so uh, I think that my least favorite was Iron Gold. I think it was just, it was just pretty boring. Like getting introduced boring. to Ephraim, getting introduced to Lyria, even though like those, those first few Lyria chapters were cool. It kind of like, it's got a little really stagnant for out, me. Yeah. And then, um, Darrow was pretty interesting for a little bit, but then it was just like, what the hell is happening right now? The mm -hmm. stuff with Virginia was fairly interesting. Um, but anyway, didn't uh, really care about the stuff with, um, I don't even remember his name. The, the, Ephraim. the Ephraim, thank you. Yeah, I was like, eh, whatever. But uh, you know, Iron Gold kind of I can see how a lot of the things that were happening in it were setting up for Dark Age now, like seeing the full scope of it. So I still appreciate it, but yeah, it's at the bottom. And then Dark Age, right after Iron Gold. I still really like Dark Age. Um it was just a lot of the same thing for a while, and it just it just felt especially the very thing it chose to be. It felt like a pretty tedious book. Like I still yeah. liked it a lot. I think there were some really amazing scenes in there. The Day of Red Doves thing was really, really cool. Um, there was the Cassius showing up in the nick of time at the end there. Lysander's character work was pretty promising and really cool in that book. There's a, there's a lot to say about Dark Ages that I really like. Um, anyway, moving on, we have in the fourth position would be Red Rising, the first book in the series. Um, in the fourth I, position yeah i mean i th i um wow I really we're like the first one yeah wow, i mean i think I'm the beginning surprised. i think the beginning is really good i think going into it um the first couple like, instances uh in the um, institute or whatever like meeting everybody all of that the kind of like you know darrow coming into this it new world kind like of thing middle is, of that book huh it's really interesting i mean like i i really 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 like the ending the very end but yeah like them kind of just like running around in oh, i got off to that i don't know i thought it was just like it's fine it's just um i don't know i don't know i don't know it's just now, okay of... this batman is that a statement of that that is a statement that that book isn't very good or that the other books are all like really good i don't know i just think that the the entertainment factor for me for red rising kind of like dips a little bit in like okay. the in like the third quarter of the book and then it gets You're really an cool again person, but okay <laughs> sure yeah <laughs> just kidding <laughs> but yeah so it's like uh, yeah red rising is just kind of like yeah right there in the middle uh morning star right above red rising i, I think morning star is a pretty underrated book i, I think it's Me really too. really awesome i think the, the way it starts is really cool uh the way it ends is really amazing uh it's it's such a like the last like that final confrontation with octavia and aja and, and adrius and like adrius is like nuking cities and like it's 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 amazing i think morningstar is a really incredible book uh and then in the yep. number two spot i've got lightbringer this uh, this sixth book we just read wow yeah i i really liked it a lot man like yeah, i did I think, too i mean it's in the it's, it's got the feels it, of the first yeah three. it could be recency bias but um i think lightbringer is a really amazing book it's it's incredible. I think it's going to probably be one of the best books I read this whole year. Um, I was just really, really impressed with it. There was no part of it where I was like, wow, like what, what the hell is, what, why are we here? And like, what, you know, it was just, it was just banger scene after banger scene, just like Golden Sun, which is the, my top one, which is, 
Yeah, Golden Sun is amazing. Dude, I like how we kind of culminated there at the same <laughs> time. My, my peak with Golden Sun, so too. Good. It yeah, is Golden, so amazing, yeah. dude. It's yeah. got everything in it. It's just yeah. like, and the it's ending non-stop. of Golden Sun, yeah. like, I've read it twice now and forgotten about it completely because I'm a fool the second time. So it was like as much of a surprise the second time I read it. And it just reaches right out of the page and just like slaps you in the face like 13 times. And you just like stagger back. You're like, oh my God. I've never uh, been just hit by the end of a book as uh, hard as that one you know wow i look into the box and see fisher's head staring back at me eyeless oh. mouth stuffed with grapes aries the one hope we had the one man who picked me up when i was broken and gave me a chance for something better than revenge has been butchered and i know we are undone and that's the last oh, part man. of the book it's so good everything we so, worked for oh, is man. just eliminated in fact we're worse than when we started we don't even have yeah. like we're exposed oh man that was rough yep uh so yeah that's my ranking for all of them i mean i still think they're all incredible books i think brown um Pierce, yeah. if you're listening to this right now i mean it really hats off to you man like this is such an ambitious like what a what a ridiculous undertaking this series must have been it's i think scary. it's i respect the hell out of the process this must have been and um man i just i'm really excited for the next book i think this is amazing uh are there parts uh that i think are a little bit just like over the top overdone over gruesome Yep. Yeah, it's yep, just yep, personal yep. taste thing. I don't think that it's, you know, a uh, mark against the quality at all. Uh, but yeah, I think that this is a really amazing series and I'm really happy to be caught up and like know what's going on and be able to think about it and be able to finally go on to like spoiler Reddit threads and have spoilery discussions in the Discord and stuff because there's still more things I want to talk about. I mean, I wish we could do a five hour episode about this, but. Um, if, if you are listening right now and you think that um, there's something that Chad and I missed or there's something that you want to elaborate on or you want to give your feelings on, of course, we do have a Discord and we have a Red Rising channel in the Discord. That you can go give us all your thoughts. Um, and just because we yeah. aren't reading a book in those channels doesn't mean that there's not people in there. Sometimes I'm like, oh, wow, oh, yeah. there's people like discussing things in the Lycanius chapter. That was totally. the first yeah. book series that Evan and I reviewed. I mean, I love what you said there about like him, his his um, kind of the nod to his writing skill because it's it's just so obvious throughout this entire book and in fact if there's any sk- criticism that i have is it's kind of like too much of a good thing you know he made me a delicious salad and he didn't need to put cranberries in it and get fancy <laughs> you know like you know so it's like uh yeah that's that's the only criticism is just like a little too fancy sometimes but uh you know that's a great criticism to have uh in the book and then you know dark age being just devoid of hope is just kind of a sad thing for me um but was it poorly written not at all so thank yeah. you everyone for sticking with us this whole time and uh enjoying these books with us it got dark sometimes it got happier uh most of the other time though so oh, yeah. it was real good oh i uh like we like i always am at the end of our series reading i'm sad to say goodbye we've been reading Red rising for a while now and uh damn we're done reading red rising it's and sad I, I, will, I will miss darrow as much as i won't miss darrow yeah, I feel a little empty, but I'm also like pretty satisfied. To be yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. We're uh, we're reading Throne of Glass. We're reading Malazan Book of the Fallen. I think uh, we needed to get Red Rising off our plates. I think totally, totally. That's like a, that we got rid of that toxic friend that like always comes over and brings us something that's like not very healthy for us, you know. But we like that <laughs> the thing that he brings like us, it so, so it's much. like we're fine with it, you know. Probably good. Cool. All right, we'll that's going to do it for us today, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Thank you so much for taking the ride with us that was Red Rising. Uh, I mean, if you're listening to this in the future, you probably just, uh, you're on YouTube and you've knocked out uh, every Red Rising episode in a row in a matter of days, and you're like, I don't know, this is fine. And today. I salute you, sir. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening, yeah. You didn't have to wait seven months for all this like the rest of our fans did, so uh, 
<laughs> kudos to you yeah <laughs> good for you you had it easy mother <laughs> yeah it was hard um but anyway i'm gonna go that was uh i'm gonna go I'm too gonna, i'm gonna read some other stuff but uh i'm gonna yeah. throw out a glass actually yeah. I'm, I'm gonna read some chain of dogs dude oh damn <laughs> okay that's it everybody it. hope you have an amazing rest of your day and of course happy reading bye everybody